Well, Dominic, it's happened. What's that? Oh, you want to know what happened? You haven't heard? I'll let you, you know, make the story. Well, Not make the story. Tell the story. We don't mean to brag, but <laughs> our sixth grade football team may or may not, back in 2009, yeah. had been the first sixth grade class at Carlisle to win the prestigious Pee Wee Super Bowl. Kind of a big deal we are. And now you might be asking yourself, why are they mentioning that they won a Pee Wee Super Bowl so many, I guess, 12 years ago at this point? (sighs) Well, people, it's because it's happened. For the first time since 2009, a Carlisle sixth grade class has won the Pee Wee Super Bowl once again. Shout out to the 2021 sixth grade class. Congratulations. Um, live it up. But don't don't go too hard. Yeah, we went hard back in 09. <laughs> yeah. I forget what restaurant we went to after, but <laughs> lots of lots of square lots pizza. Lots of pizza. Yeah. <laughs> but uh also uh, special shout out to our high schools, uh, our Carlisle High School team. They won their first round playoff game this weekend. So Carlisle football is just on the freaking up and up right now. How about it? Yeah. But um, just had to, you know, give some shout outs to the alma mater. Of course. And um, besides that though, Dominic, there was a lot to look forward to besides Carlisle football this weekend as we had a great, great weekend of fights. We caught a wave out in Abu Dhabi. Still floating. Mm-hmm. And uh, some I. Island Boy was yes. uh, was quite the quite the you know felt like the song of the weekend a little bit. It did, it did. And now we're here to give you guys the MMA weekend recap of all that we watched over this weekend. So we don't even have to start with fight announcements, Dominic, because we ain't got none. Is this the first time that's ever happened, or it has yeah, it's been a long time? It's definitely like <laughs> the tenth time that's happened. But okay, fair enough. <laughs> But we do have some news to talk about. We actually have some pie to talk about. <laughs> so I, I combined a few things for this for this headline here. Some things that felt like they kind of fit together a little bit, kind of, not really, you know, just, just putting everything kind of under one little headline here. We have a couple of our big players in the UFC speaking out about their current standing with the company and, you know, a little bit about their demands for coming back. Let's start with Joanna Champion. Joanna oh. Young Jacek. We haven't seen her since our 2020 fight of the year. Back in March of 2020, she fought Zhang Wei Li uh, to to a five round war, the best women's fight of all time. It was for the mm-hmm. strawweight title. Joanna uh, came out on the losing end, of course, and haven't seen her since. Well, she she was on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani, and this actually came off the heels of a uh, big news that broke. We didn't talk about it just because, like, I mean, this is why we're talking about this now. She got removed from the rankings uh, for the UFC. And a lot of people were making 
note of that. Didn't really know what to make of that. And we just decided to wait it out, see what uh, see what got said. So it sounds like they took her out of the rankings due to inactivity, which I'm fine with. But at the same time, I, I don't like that they don't really hold that universally across the board. Not, not very consistent. But, no, not when John Jones, who fought, who hasn't fought since a month before her, is still right. in the pound for pound rankings. I don't know. It's again, these are like media rankings, so I don't even know how much the UFC has a say in this. I don't. I don't know. But Joanna was on MMA Hour, and she said that ultimately she wants big fights mm-hmm. in order to come back, and she wants more money to make her return, wording it as a bigger piece of the pie. And kind of mentioned she's waiting on Rose versus Whaley, too, to go down before really making any decisions or any direction in terms of what's next for her. Right. At the same time, Nate Diaz who has been making a lot of headlines recently due to the fact that he is in the final fight of his current UFC contract. There's a lot of rumors out there, a lot of speculation on what he might do once he's out of his contract. Is he going to go box Jake Paul? I don't know. I sure hope not, but you know, it's an option, but Nate Diaz has tweeted and simply said that he deserves someone ranked number four or above and kind of said, don't get me involved in your in your business, Dana. Kind of said, like, keep my name out your mouth a little bit. Yeah. So he's saying that that's what he deserves for the final fight of his contract. Dominic, I'm going to combine the two here. Are Joanna and or Nate being reasonable with their demands? Um, Start with Joanna. I mean, big fights. Yeah, she's definitely deserving of that. The problem being she wants title fights specifically and that is a little where it gets a little harder because you can't just throw people into title fights coming off of losses and so on and so forth you know outside of the fact that we had an interim championship with two guys coming off losses anyway we're not relating that we'll talk about that later Ioana on jacek uh is a, is a legend a strawweight legend six title defenses she deserves to be in there amongst the top five the elite of the division but for her to say like i want to just come back and fight for a title again doesn't make much sense to me Maybe, you know, if Zhang Wei Li were to lose, you could run that back, being that they had the fight of the year, as Noah mentioned off the top. Her versus Marina Rodriguez is an amazing fight, one that a lot of people want to see. Fights like those are so big, uh, but to her, probably not so much. So, so do you want to fight again or not, if I'm being honest, after these comments for being made? For Nate, this is just Nate, right? He wants the top five guys. Um, and then Noah's circumstance where he likes the idea of him and Gilbert Burns. That makes sense. That is a top four guy. So, uh, you know, maybe he gets that fight or someone up there in those rankings. Luke is technically number five. Does that count? Can we slide him in there uh, or not? Nate Diaz will ask. But, uh, yeah, he wants money, obviously, too. It's all part of their his negotiating tactics, the way that he's very, very intricate in a way with the way that he goes about these things, even though it doesn't come off that way to the broad mm-hmm. audience. So uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, it's all negotiating. So for both of them, is it reasonable for them to expect these big fights? I guess so. But again, if it's Joanna, no, you shouldn't expect a title fight if you're Nate. You don't necessarily deserve a top four guy, but you just fought Leon, and I wouldn't be surprised if you fight another one. So, When did Joanna say she only wanted title fights? Uh, that was with Dana in an interview with, I believe, MMA Junkie was speaking about it. Bingo. 
so I don't think that I, – I mean, <laughs> that's what Dana's saying, but I don't think Yo- – Joanna did not specifically say that. Um, so I think that uh, while I could see that that – like, I don't see where in her mind that would make sense. Like, why – what do you mean she's only winning title fights? Like she's <laughs> like she just lost the title fight. Yeah, you know, a year year and a half ago. So I don't think that that's true. Um, I mean, if you want to take Dana's word for it, that's fine. But like, I don't know. It just seems like not exactly the best move to make. I just think that for Joanna, if she wants big fights, that makes perfect sense. And what was so surprising in that interview with Ariel, my big takeaway, not even a mention of Marina Rodriguez in there yeah. at all. Yeah. And I expected that. I don't think Marina's a big enough fight for her. I don't think it's a fight that entices her enough, despite the built-in story of kind of the Muay Thai versus Muay Thai. Um, also, just the fact that Marina is on her way up right now, and Joanna's kind of a, a – She's in a way a relic, you know. She's someone that's been around a long time, but she's still very much the present right now, in my mm-hmm. opinion. So I don't think it's unreasonable for her to expect big fights if she's actually expecting title fights. Because again, it's a bit of he said, she said. But I'm going off of what she said in that interview. She never once said that. She did say she's waiting on the Rose Whaley rematch, but she was talking about perhaps if Whaley won, that maybe she could get a rematch with Wei Lee, which I'm not going to lie. I know if Wei Lee won, they'd probably do her versus Rose in a trilogy, but it would make sense if they didn't do Rose in a trilogy, it would make all the sense in the world to run her and Joanna back. Hmm. I mean, that fights, it's the best woman's fight of all time. Right. Why wouldn't they run it back? I'm not saying that she should expect that maybe, but at the end of the day, She's one of the best women's fighters in UFC history. I think she has gotten to a place where she can expect just kind of high-profile bouts, whether she's in the title picture or not. You know, I think that these kind of bouts are important for her, for for keeping kind of her status where she wants it to be. Um, I don't know really what else is there for her to do for high high-profile women's fights. You know, there's not a ton of them. Yeah. You got Rose, you got Wei Lee, but like, what else is a high profile bout? And she's already fought Valentina, so. Yeah, like, I don't really see a rematch with Andrade, maybe, but she smoked Andrade back in the day, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Maybe when, um, the, the female Habib comes back, maybe, uh, mm. maybe that'll be a fight for her. But again, I, this is all about high profile bouts, and unless, uh, Tatiana Suarez can really build up a name. I don't. I don't see it happening. You know. Yeah. Nate Diaz, however, see, he feels like the more unreasonable one to me, and I and I'm saying that despite the fact that I'm the one that said, "Hey, maybe Gilbert Burns will happen." That I'd love to see the Luke fight, but let's be honest. I mean, even if I believe in my heart that Nate Diaz is a top 15 welterweight, even if he's seemed to have proven that by just you know, I think his performances as few and far between as he's had kind of fights. You know, the Leon Edwards fight didn't go his way, but again, had a big showing in the last minute or so of that fight. He hung in there for five rounds. You look at the, yeah, he got smoked by Masvidal, but Bordaddy beat Anthony Pettis in a very decisive way. 
I think he's shown at least enough in the last couple of years that he is a top 15 welterweight. However, he's not ranked. Right. And even though he's a big name in the sport and he's done a lot for the UFC, for him to expect top five, it's a little laughable to me. But at the same time, I'm not opposed to seeing it. I've been a proponent of the Luke fight and the Gilbert Burns fight. If that's, I mean, the Gilbert Burns fight's more my what I've been saying. I haven't heard like anything on that, so that's probably not really going to yeah. happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do for the last contract, but I want to be clear with everybody here. There's no doubt, and this isn't really a knock on the UFC or Nate Diaz when I say this. This is just the reality of the situation. They are probably been talks about a new contract with Nate. I'm sure there has. They they typically don't like to let a contract run out and then try to re-sign somebody. You try to almost mm-hmm. extend the contract, you know, a little bit. Yeah. So there's no doubt been talks. The UFC will be well aware right now on what direction they think Nate is going to do whether he's going to walk and look for other opportunities or simply walk away from the sport. They don't really know that, but walk away for other opportunities perhaps, or that he's going to re-up with the UFC. Based on some of Dana's comments that he's made about Nate Diaz, I would assume the former of the two is kind of where things stand, that they right now believe that Nate Diaz is going to walk at the end of his contract. Not saying he will, but because of that, if you're in the UFC shoes, you have a decision to make. Do you give for his final fight with the company a fight that could inflate his stardom, that could build him up? Do you give him a fa- not necessarily a favorable matchup? Because if he's fighting someone like Luke or Burns, either one of those guys might run through him. But think of like a Luke fight. That would likely be a war. Oh, yeah. And a fight that'll really build up Nate Diaz a little bit. Just continue the almost like the, you know, the myth of Nate Diaz. Like he's just like this mythic, mythical figure almost. This 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 guy. His stardom would just only go up if if even in a losing effort, if he's in this war that the fans love. So you have a decision to make. Do you do that kind of fight? A fight that could potentially build him up even bigger and then all of a sudden he goes to one of your competitors or he goes to boxing and makes a huge payday over there, even bigger because you helped inflate his stardom? Or do you give him a fight against someone who you know is a bad matchup for him so that he gets beaten pretty handedly and that way you help that person? And I don't want to say the name of who I'm thinking right now because I'm going to wait a little bit on that one. Mm-hmm. But it gives that person to rub, like, oh, that guy beat Nate Diaz. Like a prospect, a young up-and-comer. You guys might get where yeah. I'm going here. But if they beat Nate Diaz, especially in the fashion that they might be capable of, then it gives them a huge boost to their stardom. And Nate Diaz is no longer in your company. He's no longer of value to you. Mm-hmm. Again, these are uncomfortable things to talk about because you're talking about people at the end of the day. and But – it's the nature of business. It's the way it works. And the UFC just has a decision to make on what route they're going to take. But 
based on the two paths I've just chosen or unfolded, Dominic, which path is more likely in your opinion? I don't know, man. I mean, the way that they've been booking Diaz, you would think they might just let him do, you know, a top five, like Luke or a Burns. Uh, I know the gentleman that you are thinking that we'll discuss later and uh, why I don't doubt the UFC would love to feed Nate to that specific person. There's no way in shit that Nate would accept that fight, in my opinion. If he does, what a savage, what a real gangster he would be. But uh, I would lean more toward, I mean, my God, they just gave him Leon. And if he's asking for Burns and if Burns wants him or Luke, so on and so forth, like we've been seeing, then I wouldn't doubt that they would give him that opportunity. So that's kind of where I'm leaning more toward. Well, I'm not even, I'm not, okay, sorry. I shouldn't have worded it like top five or prospect. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, does the UFC give him a fight, a more, a a fight that he can, you know, are they going to give him a fight that could help potentially boost his, his personal brand or a fight that's simply going to be a way for another guy to get the rub and then he's gone. Like, you well, know what I'm saying? What's crazy about this is that you would think, oh, the fight that's going to boost his brand would be against a prospect. Nope. It's the complete opposite in this situation. The one that would get him to just kind of fade away, be out of the UFC on his last fight is against this prospect that we're continuing. Wait, you think, you think that would boost his brand if it was against most prospects? No, no. I'm saying the fights that would boost his brand are the ones against a Burns or a Luke because they're more mm-hmm. favorable for him. And, but you would think generally it would be the opposite way for most other fighters where if they're giving this older guy one that could maybe help him on this latter half of his career, it would be against a younger prospect. But in this case, this prospect is smashing every single person that is in front of him. Okay. I'm not sure if I follow, but I, I let's go with the last point here. Conor McGregor and Max Holloway. Whoa. Yeah, that's right. Just threw those names at you. Yeah. Um, Conor McGregor, as he has known to do, was on Twitter, and uh, that's where a lot of our news comes from. It's always tweets, it's always yeah. Twitter. Um, Conor McGregor on Twitter, uh, there was a tweet posted that said, Post the last picture in your phone involving MMA. Yeah, and this I'm sure man, this was. <laughs> yeah, this man fucking comments, responds. And puts a picture of him fighting Max. Yeah. And, uh, okay, Connor. Okay. And Max responds. And I uh, forget what the exact words were, but it was like March. In March. Basically gave yeah. him a date and was like, Yeah. We fight then. Yeah. Now, this has kind of come out of nowhere. Obviously. Oh, yeah. We talked, we talked very recently about Connor's. Uh, the 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 love triangle between him, Nate Diaz, and who else was involved in that? Why am I forgetting? Wasn't that love triangle? <laughs> we just talked about him. Yeah, why don't it was I remember? Nate, Connor, I'm blanking. <laughs> I, I don't know. remember who it was. I don't either. There's just too uh, much. That's all we see on Twitter. Connor and Nate are the kings of staying relevant. Oh, it's Tony Twitter, Ferguson. By the way, Tony, Tony Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah. Gosh. Um, Okay, so Tony Ferguson would have been a great person to bring up in the last point, but whatever. We're already moved on. Yeah. So regardless, Dominic, <laughs> this came out of nowhere. 
But I just got to ask you, you know, how realistic is this fight for a returning Conor McGregor? Ultimately, if you're Max Holloway, you have put yourself in the driver's seat. Well, you have a fight coming up with Yair Rodriguez. But if he were to win that fight with Yair Rodriguez, he has no doubt earned himself a third shot at the featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky. Right. Dana White has said as much. It is very is very much set in stone. Even Volkanovsky's been like, yeah. "Yeah, I'll fight." He's like, "I'll," he's like, "I'll fight the, I'll fight him." But um, the thing is, if a McGregor fight comes calling, do you pivot in your direction and and take him on at a at lightweight? Dominic, how realistic is this fight for Connor returning? How realistic is this fight for Conor McGregor? Can he be back in March? I don't know. But the fight in general between him and Max isn't out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's the one that will happen in his return fight necessarily. But I don't hate this idea. It's two guys that have always continued to be on each other's radar since they fought for the first time way back when. And you look at the great things they both have accomplished since then. It would be a a very, very fun fight to see, especially at lightweight now. We've seen... Uh, Max test the waters there, obviously, against Dustin for interim championship. Didn't go his way, but a great fight. And obviously, Connor accomplished a ton at featherweight, came up to lightweight, and didn't do all that great any, uh, at lightweight either. Granted, he did win the championship, but you get my sentiment there. So uh, this that would be a fun fight, a striker's delight, uh, preferably five rounds as well. You know, Boxer, the best striker. Uh, in the UFC, and you know Connor has a lot to say about that. He actually tweeted Max back in the day when he was saying those things. So these two have always been chit-chatting back and forth in the shadows almost. It doesn't kind of get brought out as much as the Connor Nate tweets, the Connor Tony tweets, so on and so forth. So uh, it's realistic, but I don't think it's the one that will happen in his return fight. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's going to happen, but I did want to bring it up because I saw a lot of people just immediately writing off Connor in this potential matchup, and I don't think you should do that because while Max Holloway is looking better than ever in his career, and no doubt he has grown leaps and bounds from the the young the young in that fight Connor the first time. However, we saw when Max went up ten pounds, it was just a big difference for him. He yeah. just you know Dustin is a great fighter and had beat Connor the last the two times this year so you do MMA math and Connor might give Max a lesser fight than Dustin did but you don't do that Dustin hurt Max with a lot of what he threw and if there's one thing that Connor does better than Dustin Poirier is that he has more power yeah. in his hands so from if Max was getting hurt by a lot of what Dustin threw, what's going to happen if Connor lands? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Plus, Max doesn't throw a lot of leg kicks, and you know Connor would be very susceptible to those. It's kind of be a bit of a boxing match in a way. And yep. while while Max Holloway has kind of gotten the the shine as like the best boxer in the UFC because of his performance against Calvin Cater. Conor McGregor did box the bet one of the best boxers of all time and Floyd Mayweather and yeah. didn't exactly do a terrible job at it. So I'm just saying it's it's a fight that I think isn't as one-sided on paper as people are gonna think. No, there was a, I saw a lot of backlash to Connor even 
calling out Max, I guess, in a way here. Like, not really a <laughs> call out. hilarious. People gave him so much shit for that. They were saying, oh, you're calling out a guy who's not in your weight class and blah, blah, blah. Like, basically, like, acting like he was scared of calling out, like, Tony and stuff. I'm like, guys, I'm sorry, but the Max fight is more interesting for me than the Tony fight. I'm just – I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm not – I, Connor and Tony is like, do you? I don't know if you guys really want that for Tony. I'm just being honest. I'm just, that's how I feel. I don't think that that fight goes the way that people want it to go for Tony. There was a time where Tony probably would have done some pretty bad things to Connor. I just don't think that time is anymore. Yeah, and guys, but, this is Connor McGregor. He, he, I, I, I envision him when he does these tweets sitting in the, Sitting in his La Casa, sitting on the couch with a big bottle of Proper 12 next to him. And he's got a dartboard of just a bunch of names. And he's like, who am I going to tweet today? And he throws the dart and it landed on Max Holloway. This is what Connor does to stay relevant on Twitter, especially right now while he's injured. He wants people to still think about him and talk about him. Well, here we are. So, All right, let's move on. I think that was a good way to, to end it. Uh, the regional showcase. Ta-da! The first in our first weekly many. series or weekly segments on the show, uh, we watched UAE Warriors 24 happen mm-hmm. Friday night. Now we're here to recap it on this episode. Dominic, just off the top, what did you think of UAE Warriors as a promotion? What did you think of the presentation and everything else about it? This was fun, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, the way that they went about their broadcasting, again, their presentation was very nice. It came off as professional. This is a big uh, promotion organization over there in uh, the UAE, Abu Dhabi. So uh, it, w- it was cool, man. They have great fighters, great commentary. They had like four or five guys on commentary. It felt like there were so many different people <laughs> coming at me. But uh, I had a really fun time watching this again. I'm excited for this new segment to showcase them here on the show for our audience to see. But of course, for us too, we get to learn more about these younger up and coming guys that are going to be, you know, in the UFC one day, potentially there's a couple on this car that they're saying, Oh, they're going to the UFC right after they won their fights here. So I had a really good time watching this card. I'm looking forward to many more regional showcases, not only from UAE warriors, but a plethora of other promotions. Yeah, well said. And I thought the production value of the broadcast was very high for mm-hmm. a regional promotion. I'll be curious to see as we move along, because, again, I'm not very familiar with most of these promotions. Like, I'm familiar with them, but I haven't really watched them. Like, even right. LFA. Yep. I don't know if I've ever watched an LFA card, for yep. being honest. So I'll be interested to compare and contrast. But when I started watching, I was like, wow, this feels like, I mean, it's a very professional broadcast. and Yep. Um, the guy that was doing pulling double duties commentary and um, what's his name again? Cyrus Fees. Yeah, love Cyrus, man. He's been doing a lot of work in the Contender Series and stuff, so it was nice to see a familiar voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mick Maynard was in attendance for this show that was set on the broadcast. Yep, uh, Nogueira was there as well, yep. but I'm saying Mick Maynard because uh, in terms yeah. of prospects and perhaps signings, um, so there was a bit of uh, some pressure on this show. And ultimately, I thought the main event was the big standout here. Vinic- Vinicius de Oliveira yeah. retains his Bantamweight title with the submission in the first round over Sylvester Chipfumbu, I believe is how it's pronounced. Three minutes, 43 seconds around round number one. 
Uh, this guy looks very stellar for a bantamweight. He yes, he he just really. I don't. You know, it's it's gonna again. It's gonna be interesting to see how as we keep watching these shows if there's things that you know are we gonna really be able to notice the drop off from UFC caliber to regional level? You know, right, right. as as these guys are on their way up, or is the fact that we're watching a regional card mean that these guys are going to look UFC level going to right. lower level opponents. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So Oliveira was supposed to fight um, Ray Borg in this really? event. Okay. But Ray Borg had to be pulled out. So uh, Chip Fumbu was stepping in on short notice here, but uh, Oliveira, I thought took care of him in the way that he should have took care of a guy that was a short notice opponent and, just everything about his skill set told me that he is ready for the UFC. Yes. I'll be curious to see if this guy gets a shot on the contender series. Um, if not uh, even ultimate fighter or ultimately if he just goes straight in. Yeah. I think you could do probably either, either contender series or I would say um, bring him straight in. Yeah. I think he just, lo- he looks very well developed already. He's a young guy. I think he's 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been a Bantamweight champion for UAE Warriors for quite a while. So I think it's his time to go. But uh, Dominic, what stood out most for you from UAE Warriors 24? Tahir Abdullah- Abdullayev uh, yep. gets, gets the KO over Daniel Skib- Skibinski. That's a cool last name, Skibinski. <laughs> but uh, man, this was so impressive to me because he catches a leg kick, right? Up against the cage, kind of in the clinch with his left hand. Short right elbow. I'm talking, they're they're in the phone booth kind of distance in the clinch. And he throws this short right elbow, knocked him out cold. I, I You don't see that much in the clinch with those tight elbows. Those are usually something that maybe will cut you up or they'll, they'll kind of advance your positioning in terms to get like your double underhooks or something in the clinch. But he throws this elbow again from me to where my computer is and knocks out Daniel. That just shows the power that this guy carries. Again, you only got to see 45 seconds of him, but it was all him for those 45 seconds. The fact that he was able to do this off of a counter, again, catching that kick, it kind of just showed his skill set there. 45 seconds, I don't know if it's enough to say he's ready for the UFC or contender series, but I will be excited to see if he continues in UAE Warriors. uh, uh, I'm sorry, to hear that is. But uh, yeah, that was a very impressive performance to me especially getting them out nice and easy with Nick Maynard in attendance. Yeah. Since again, we don't really know what to hear done up to this point. So, you know, only 45 seconds. Like, is it enough for us to sit here and go, you know, uh, I don't know if I'm giving him a contract off that, but Nick Maynard, I can tell you, he's very well aware of what this yeah. guy has been doing. So maybe he does earn one. That'd be pretty cool. A couple other notes of this card. Uh, there was a new, featherweight champion crowned mm-hmm. that being Ali Alkazi getting a decision win over Do Young Lee. Now Alkazi, a uh, little a little tidbit, little fun fact, uh, was mentioned in one of our very first, if not our first episode. Um, I mentioned him because he had made his debut. I believe it was on the um, Lewis Olenek card. So yeah. I believe it was the first episode. He made his debut on that card, and he was the first UFC fighter to come from the country of Jordan. Mm. Now, obviously, that he's here fighting in UAE Warriors tells you he doesn't last. And ultimately, he did go 0-2 in the UFC, but it is just neat to see someone that's kind of a familiar face here and 
with the win like that, maybe he – I don't know if this win necessarily is going to earn him back and, you know, win him back into the UFC. But I do think that, uh, you know, he earns a title for UAE Warriors. That's pretty cool. And hopefully maybe we'll see him again in the UFC in the future. One last note. Did you – the disqualification. This was – all uh, that, yeah. So former U, another UFC veteran, KB Bular, was going up against UAE Warriors – light heavyweight champion in a mm-hmm. middleweight fight that being Tarek Suleiman and Suleiman I think was 11 and 7 coming in here so a bit of a mixed run probably not a guy that would uh, be looking at a UFC contract or anything so in a lot of ways this felt like kind of a, a showcase for Bular he does end up landing yeah. on a legal knee though and ultimately Tarek gets the win via disqualification so unfortunately, well, when the lights shine brightest, when the UFC was in attendance, KB Bular not quite able to capitalize on the opportunity. Um, right. But you know that guy's—he's just—he's just he, just from the look of him, he just looks huge for 185 pounds in terms of not necessarily like build, like bulk. It's just like he's very long and tall, and yeah, kind of he kind of dwarfed the 205 pound champion here. So right. Right. Maybe Bular will get back to the UFC, but just wanted to make a note of that. Anything else that I that you wanted to mention before I move on? No, man. I mean, again, this was a good time for me. I can't wait to kind of continuing uh, this segment in the show. Yeah, so next week, uh, join us next Sunday. We'll be talking about LFA 117. Mm-hmm. LFA, man, that's it's going to be our first time going over them. I'm sure we'll have them featured on here quite often. They, they are – basically the main the main hub for producing ufc prospects nowadays so yep um the ufc highly values them and i'm looking forward to watching that show um but yeah let's move on to ufc 267 ultimately what you guys came here for here we go the wise words of uh randy couture when he <laughs> beat tim sylvia he gets on the mic right after and he says not bad for an old man that's right. And that's why I put that in the headline. So no disrespect to Glover Teixeira calling him an old man. No, this is best but, uh, being nice. <laughs> yeah. So Glover Teixeira, man, he shocks the world, Dominic, in a lot of ways. He gets the submission win over Jan Blahovich. Three minutes, two seconds around number two. And he really didn't make it look very difficult, if I'm being honest. Uh, Not one bit. Glover essentially controlled the entire fight. He, he felt like he was leading the dance mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, hurt Glover a few times on the feet. I uh, was able to get him down. Jan did show some good takedown defense, but still Glover, ultimately that being his bread and butter, able to get those takedowns when he could. And, yeah. Um, you know, ultimately gets a submission win. This does make him the oldest first-time UFC champion in UFC history, and he's ultimately the second oldest champion overall behind the aforementioned Randy Couture. Right. So I'll give you, I'll let you uh, have a chance to give your thoughts on this main event. And once you're done doing that, go ahead and talk about, you know, who does Glover face for his first title defense? Not the, you know, get super carried away. The guy just won the title. He's enjoying right. the moment. But, you know, we got a list of contenders here that are vying for a chance. 
Yeah, so uh, Glover looked phenomenal, man. I couldn't believe it. I mean, from start to finish, he just looked so good. He looked so on and just ready. He was just in that groove, and you could tell. Uh, Jan never really had any moments in this one. I mean, it was all Glover for like four and a half minutes of top control in round number one, dominated him there. You know, not like a 10-8 or anything. He wasn't raining down big shots, doing submissions, but it was very dominant to say the least. Second round, it stays on the feet uh, much longer. Obviously, it went to three minutes in, but... You know, Jan landed a couple of shots, and, you know, as I was watching, I kept thinking, okay, maybe Jan kind of has a feel for these takedowns now. He's going to catch Glover coming in. That's what I, I just felt that was going to happen because he was touching up Glover. But to Glover's credit, he was able to eat those shots. He landed a big left hook on Jan Blahovich that really felt like the beginning of the end in this one. He uh, wobbled Jan on the feet, was able to get back in there, get it to the ground, and then he transitioned directly to back mount right into the rear naked. Jan tapped within 10, 15 seconds. It was a very, very quick sequence of events. And there it was, Glover Teixeira, 42 years and two days old. He just turned 42 on Thursday, becomes the light heavyweight champion of the world. One of the greatest feel-good title victories of all time at the discretion of Jan Blahovich, which is so sad to see him lose the title. But it was just one of those fights for the fans and for us. But, man, it was so, such a... Such a moment, and yeah, I could feel the tears in my eyes start to water. They didn't quite trickle down. I was damn close. Kind of the same way how I felt when Oliveira won the title. So, shout out to Glover Teixeira, man. Amazing. The fact that it was, you know, battled from adversity. Was undefeated coming into the UFC. Barely got into the UFC. He fights John Jones, loses. He's back and forth ever since then. Rallies off now six in a row. He's the champ. Uh, what a story. What a journey. I can't wait to see him fight again. Make that first title defense. But... Who will that come against? That is a young, young killer from the Czech Republic, Mr. Yuri Prohaska. This is a dangerous, dangerous man. He was there uh, sitting in the crowd, in the audience, watching. They knew the camera panned right over to him as Glover was doing his post-fight presser. They know who's next. He came there, made the wait as a backup for this fight. It's clear he's not going to fight Rakich how I originally wanted, and I'm fine with that. Yuri has earned it, in my opinion. This is a very dangerous fight for Glover Teixeira, but one that he could just so happen to shock the world once more. But uh, yeah, Yuri Prohaska, he's surely next for that belt. Yeah, for for Glover here, it was weird because it is like one of the best feel-good title victories, but I didn't really feel that in the moment. You know, I... It was hard to be over happy, overly happy for Glover when I'm also, I've really enjoyed the run Jan Blahovich has been on. So I was like, exactly. I was torn. I was torn. Yep. I think the performance really, um, I think for me, what, what was so interesting about this fight was that, and maybe this just shows how much I've underestimated Glover Teixeira on this entire run he's been on. My first thought when this fight was over was, man, something was wrong with Jan. He just didn't look right. And while I still think there was something off about him, I think that a part of that's just not giving credit to Glover to share him, all that he was able to do in these two rounds that we saw. Um, just He just he didn't let Jan Blahovich get comfortable. He didn't let him settle in. He was constantly pressuring. And while Jan was hurting Glover with the shots he was throwing in round two or landing at least. And if he had just continued to do so, probably could have done more damage. That's what it kind of felt like. It felt like Jan gave a lot of respect to Glover's 
striking. Right. Almost to the point of like diminishing return. Like it yeah. felt like it was almost too much. Yeah. It's like, you know, you have an advantage here, Blahovich. Like if only you would just settle down and, you know, get into it, you'd probably have a lot more success than you think you would right now. But I digress. It was a great win. It was a great moment seeing Glover kind of, you know, just he's just a smiling yep. old man, it seems yeah. like, even though it just, I don't know, it's just so interesting that him and Blahovich, you know, they had a lot of the back and forth and fight week that was very, it was bringing smiles to everybody's mm-hmm. uh, content over the week. So it was really nice to see. And it feels like we're going to get a lot of similar stuff with him and Prohaska. We know yeah. Yuri is very much. In some ways, a samurai. <laughs> yes, he, he is. He is, he is a. He is definitely a warrior, um, yeah. and, and treats himself as such. But afterwards, backstage, Yuri came up and congratulated him. Glover said, "You're next." Yeah, and uh, I can't wait for that fight. If that's ultimately what happens, I think that is the fight that should happen next. Um, what does that mean for Alexander Rakic? Well. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but uh, yeah, I uh, I do think that him and Prohaska is a great fight, and you know, again, my immediate thought is, wow, that's a tough fight for Glover, but that's what I said when he fought Anthony Smith. That's what I said when he fought Tiago Santos. That's what I said when he fought Jan Blahovich. Exactly, it's exactly what happened with Jan Blahovich, Dominic. It's the Jan Blahovich curse lives on. Have you you want to you know how I told you I counted him out his entire run? I've mentioned this on the show. Maybe I, I was waiting to hear this. So, where does it start? It starts after he Jan Blahovich gets TKO'd by Tiago Santos. That summer he fights Luke Rockhold, welcomes Luke Rockhold to the light heavyweight division. I said, you know what? I know Luke Rockhold's had a tough, you know, tough time as of late, but I think he's going to get a win here over Blahovich. Jan knocks him out. Then, what fight was after that? Did it go him, then Corey Anderson? Corey Anderson. Or no, no, no. Jacare Souza. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he welcomes Jacare Souza to the light heavyweight division. And me, I still had a very inflated, I guess, view of Jacare. And Jacare did, you know, this fight was very bad. It was an awful fight. Mm. But... Jacare was very competitive in it, so I don't think this was quite the Jacare that fought Kevin Holland and Andre Munez, who just didn't look like very much a UFC fighter anymore. But Jan gets a decision win, and I thought Jacare would win that fight. Then you get the Corey Anderson fight that is a title eliminator. Corey Anderson coming off one of the biggest wins of his career against Johnny Walker. I felt like all signs kind of – all the momentum I felt was on Corey's side, and I picked him to win. Jan knocks him out in the first round. Yep. Then you get the title fight where he's going up against Dominic Reyes, who everybody thought beat John Jones, the greatest fighter of all time. So I thought Dominic Reyes is going to run through Jan Blovich a little bit here. Not even close. (laughs) Completely reversed. Yep. Then I said, okay. And by this point, I'm able to acknowledge it. You know, I'm acknowledging on the podcast. I'm like, look, I. I'm, I can't help, like, I keep counting out Jan Blovich. I'm like, and in his first title defense, I'm going to have to do it again because he's going up against the middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya. Mm-hmm. Adesanya loses that fight and pretty ones. 
it was not a beat down, but it was a clear 50-45, 49-46. You know, it was very much Blahovich won the majority of that fight. Yeah. And then ultimately, finally, here with Glover to share, I finally said, all right, I finally believe in you, Jan Blahovich. Go out there and show me why. And Glover this time takes the shine. So now the torch has been passed. <laughs> and, and now I'm looking at the Yuri Prohaska fight, and I'm like, well, I really think Yuri – I love Yuri. I really do believe in this guy's talent and think he can be a champion. But I, am I going to count out Glover Teixeira again? Right. I don't know. That's a story for another day. But I do love the fight. I think it's a really good fight on paper. It's, you know, Yuri Prohaska for all the talent in the world and power in the world the guy possesses. Doesn't have a ton of defense. No. And uh, Glover being the 42 years young and a lot of experience under his belt, he's surely going to look to expose some of that. Now, what I, I do just want to say for Glover as well, I mean, this guy's climb to the top is so interesting because he kind of he rose, then fell, then rose again, then fell again, and then rose again here. I mean, right. what kind of career have we ever seen take that many peaks and valleys, you know? This man yeah. started as a training partner of Chuck Liddell. He was like the secret weapon, the guy that Chuck Liddell used to basically train for any fight. Because Glover was that good. <clears throat> it gets on the UFC's radar. UFC wants Glover to share. He was supposed to be an ultimate fighter. I didn't even know that before that was mentioned on the, on the post-fight press conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, Glover had visa issues for about four years. Nearly derailed his entire MMA career. Uh, he was forced to not fight in the UFC during that time. He does come back, though, and really doesn't miss a beat. Looks fantastic. Earns a title fight at UFC 172 against John Jones. However, he loses, and John Jones beats him pretty pretty easily. And, you know, that would have been just a great, you know, all right, you got your title shot. He still has some fights left, but it's like, all right, he had his moment, you know, move on. And that's kind of what happened for a while. He got knocked out real quickly by Anthony Johnson. Some of this I mentioned mm-hmm. on Friday, so I apologize to to be uh, running through the same beats. But you know, he he did have some iffy fights, and then he had to start fighting some young prospects like Eon Kudalaba. He fought Jared Cannonier, I'm pretty sure, who was yep. fighting at light heavyweight at the time, and then somehow worked his way back up to where he was fighting contenders again and beating them, outlasting them, outwilling them. Gets another title shot against Jan Blahovich and wins this time. Never seen a career take this many turns. Very impressive. However, we do need to talk a little bit about the loser, Jan Blahovich. Yeah. And Dominic, he's 38 years old. You know, he was a very unlikely champion to begin with. At this point, I guess the second most unlikely champion behind the man he lost the belt to. And, you know, what, what's next for him? At this point, this guy just lost his belt, but he lost it in a pretty, you know, didn't have a t- He had one title defense, um, lost the belt in a pretty one-sided fashion. Doesn't look like an immediate rematch is in the cards. What's next? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question, man. I will say for what it's worth, you know, after the loss, they did the interview with him and he said, you know, I'm not giving up. My story's not over. There's still, you know, more to write in this book, uh, quote unquote. So, you know, take some time off. Obviously, uh, he's a newer dad. He's had his son for almost a year now, and he just seems very happy, very content with life. He was so joyful and happy uh, this whole fight week. Him and Glover, like Noah said, was so nice to see the respect and friendship there between those two. So let's take some time off for the champ or the former champ now and Jan Blahovic. But when he comes back, I mean, I'm looking at the division here and it's like, okay, what really makes sense? Who has he not fought as of recent? <sighs> Why not? Ah, I'm torn here between two. Let me, okay, I'm going to do it. Why don't we do him versus Anthony Smith, who is finally launching himself back in to the elite of this division. It's hard to match make for Anthony. He's fought a lot of these guys, but he's now at number four, looking like he might be able to make another run toward a title. What other way to get back into title talk and then by beating the most recent champion, that is Jan Blahovic. I know that's kind of maybe throwing Jan to the wolves, quote-unquote, but I don't think it's that out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's that awful of a stylistic matchup. I think that's a fun fight uh, between those two. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to go that I had to sit on it. There was one other guy, but I'm like, you know what? This is a fresh matchup too. I'm big on fresh matchups and it does all in all make sense at the end of the day. Maybe Jan after some time off, maybe, uh, welcomes Anthony Smith back into title talks. So I'm going to give him another, another gentleman. And what I'm, what I'm thinking here is, okay. Lohovich is still not like, it's not like he never has a chance to earn another title shot. You know, Glover, I think we can all agree Glover is probably not a long-term champion. Like, I'm not saying he can't have a year or two run, but, I mean, he's 42. So, realistically, he shouldn't be a long-term champion. So, Jan could definitely earn another title shot. He could earn another title shot against Glover Teixeira. I mean, that's perfectly doable. So, I'm going to allow him to fight not too far back. I'm going to give him someone pretty in the top five. And the question, I guess, is though that when I'm making this matchup, what's the why am I booking this matchup? Is it just simply to determine like who's the number one contender? Maybe, but in a lot of ways, what I want to do here is I want to. Jan Blahovic is very tested, very proven at this point, and there's a guy in the top five that I think still needs just a little kick in the ass, a little test before he gets that title shot. And if he passes, then I think he shows a lot here. That's going to be Alexander Rakic. Mm-hmm. I think Rakic is a perfect matchup um, here. Now, timing on this could be iffy because, I mean, that's the same for Anthony Smith as well. Smith and Rakic, obviously, they kind of want to fight each other, but that was looking like something that might happen in December that they wanted to happen in December. So it looks like those two are wanting to get in there pretty soon. Right. I would ideally rather see Blahovich and Rakic happen in like February, maybe January. Who knows? But all in all, I think that it's a great fight because Alexander Rakic, you know, he looks really good in some of these fights. You know, the Anthony Smith fight, he looks so dangerous. But then he's got these long periods of inactivity. And then the fight with Tiago Santos was another win but it didn't really do anything to kind of get me excited about his prospects as a title challenger right 
So I want someone who I feel is going to bring the fight to him. Jan Blachowicz will do that. Jan Blachowicz has a very well-rounded game, so he can kind of test Rakic perhaps even in the grappling department and yeah. some areas that you know Rakic has not been accustomed to. So ultimately, that's the fight I want to see. It, it could be tough because if Blachowicz loses that, then maybe you do to step back and go someone below top five. Mm-hmm. But for now, I think the Polish power had a – it was a bad night. He wasn't the best man on this night, but I think he's got better days ahead. Yeah, well said. So we went to the co-main event. An interim champion was crowned mm. in our mm-hmm. bandweight division. Pewter Jan gets the unanimous decision win over – Corey Sanhagen. So, Dominic, I'm going to let you give your thoughts first this time. What were your thoughts on this fight? I know the headline gives it away a little bit. (laughs) But what were your thoughts on the fight? And, uh, yeah, we'll start there. This fight was incredible. If you didn't enjoy this fight, watch it again. And if you still don't, watch it again. Because this fight was so damn good. This was This right here, what this fight was, was the two best 135-pound fighters in the world going tit for tat for 25 minutes. That's what this fight was to me. The highest level of MMA, the highest level of striking, boxing, anything, that everything was on display in this fight. I remember watching that first round, specifically having these thoughts go through my head, and then round two happens. Round three, round four, round five, and it just kept getting better and better. Um, and man, inevitably, Pewter Jan gets the win, unanimous decision, 49-46 times three. What an amazing war of attrition. Pewter Jan, by the way, his ability to recognize what his opponent's doing in round one and then make adjustments for the remainder of the fight is second to none. He did it against Aljamain Sterling to a T, was on his way to a very easy victory, if not a stoppage in that one, before he gets disqualified. And this one loses round one to Corey. Looks phenomenal the rest of the way through. I gave round five to Corey, but nevertheless, there was four to one on the judges' scorecards, and I can't hate on that anyway either. So uh, he is such an incredible fighter. His striking is top-notch, nearly flawless. Um, and just, again, the way that he can nitpick his opponents, look for those weaknesses. Corey Sanhagen, shout-out to you, my friend, because he has now went back-to-back five-round wars against TJ Dillashaw and Pewter Jan. The TJ Dillashaw fight, a lot of people thought he won, was an amazing fight, one that I had in my fight of the year contention. Then this fight happens, and I'm like, holy shit, Corey Sanhagen is just in these absolute dogfights with the best in the world, man. And just look at this kid's resume. Win or lose, he's fighting the most – I mean, his resume is unbelievable in terms of the elite fighters uh, that he has fought. So what a fight this was. Um and yeah, I, I'm just, I know I'm saying it over and over, but it was truly, I was in awe of this fight. One of my favorite fights I've ever watched. Definitely one of the best of 2021. Noah, I can't wait to hear you gush about this as well, considering I was texting you my thoughts, but now I want to hear them in my ears. Yeah, it was one of the best fights of 2021 for sure. And in terms, it didn't necessarily have the the dramatic moments of a Volkanovsky Ortega mm-hmm. or a Prohaska Reyes or whatever other big fights but in terms of high level mixed martial arts you do not find anything better in terms of striking especially than this fight and you're right you broke that down perfectly peter yon's mid-fight adjustments he is the best in the entire ufc at utilizing mid-fight adjustments as literally a part of his skill set i mean it's literally what he does 
he 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 starts out wouldn't even say slow. He just wow. he starts out letting his opponent lead the dance a little bit. Yeah, he'll probably drop round one. That's what he did against Sterling. That's what he did against here. He might have even done that against Aldo. I don't remember for right. certain. And then basically maybe a little bit in round two, there's still a little bit of like, okay, that was closer, but like not really sure. Cause I thought round two was super close. Yeah. I mean, round two was tight. You know, I gave it to Jan. Same. And then I, I did give round five the Corey, but it, it felt yep. like a clear decision win for Jan, even though based on what I'm saying, like I almost could have gave it three, two to Corey. Three, but exactly. It yeah. felt like a clear Jan decision win here. However, so Round two, closer, but it's like, okay, I feel like Jan's starting to get a read on this. Rounds three, four, and then five. I mean, it just – this guy just had a – and it, it wasn't like he was outclassing Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen is phenomenal. He's so mm-hmm. young but so talented. And what makes this even more interesting for Jan or more, um, more, I guess, um, impressive for Jan is that – Corey Sandhagen doesn't have like a very readable style. No. Like his style is very, he's very herky jerky, very all over the place, you know, very explosive and uh, does a lot of spinning attacks, does a lot of different things that, you know, typically aren't, there's not like a pattern usually. Right. Corey Sandhagen. He's very fluid in the cage, just kind of does whatever feels right in the moment. Yep. And yet Jan appeared by round four, especially to just have him read like a book. It was incredible. Yeah. When do you ever see that? Now, to Corey Sanhagen's credit, he took this fight on short notice. Didn't look like he missed a beat here. I mean, he looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, no slouch. No, you know, keep your head, keep your chin high. Corey Sanhagen, I know it's a tough loss, but man, you can't help but leave this fight going. Jan's probably a level above the rest of the Bantamweights. And we'll see if he ever fights like TJ Dillashaw, if that holds true. But he probably is a level above yeah. his Bantamweights. But, man, you look at Corey Sandy and you can't help but feel like the guy should be holding UFC gold at some point in his career. Exactly. And he even showed a lot of the evolve, evolving of his game. The level changes. Who would have thought yes. that the person initiating the grappling sequences – would be mm-hmm. Corey Sanhagen in this fight. Right. Corey doing it offensively. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of them, I think, were more so just to get in Jan's head, there wasn't a lot of, like, I'm actually going to take you down kind of effort put behind them. But it, I think it worked and where Jan's kind of like, yes. what the hell is going yeah. on here? Yeah. Um, I could say a lot more about this fight, but it's phenomenal. I don't want to just repeat myself and say it's – awesome over and over again you guys get it it's one of the fights of the year we'll be talking about it at the joeys i'm sure yeah um and now we just got to talk about kind of what's next for these two guys obviously this was an interim title fight so jan you would think the next fight for sure has got to be to combine the two right to to bring it to one again so we need to see that rematch between aljamain sterling and peter jan but due to kind of the the feelings around one it what's become very clear by just everybody has essentially just crowned Jan the champion here. Like I mean yeah whether you like it or not based on the way everybody was talking to Peter Jan or talking about Aljamain Sterling over this week and weekend 
Nobody looks at him as the champion. Then you have the element that Aljamain Sterling is recovering from very ser- serious neck surgery, and we don't really know what kind of when he'll be back, what kind of timetable he has. So, Dominic, is this rematch really going to be the fight that happens next, in your opinion? I, it is. I, I think it will be next, and that's simply because the other guy is TJ Dillashaw, and he just has a damn knee sliced open uh, and worked yep. on and operated on. So it's, it's a matter of who's going to get recovered first, I guess. And I think I think it'll be Aljamain Sterling, being that he has had you know this whole summer. He's going to have the fall. Maybe we get this unification bout in you know February or March, maybe April. So I think in the spring, early spring of 2022. And, uh, you know, again, if you're Sterling and you see this fight, you're like, holy shit, man. I I thought I fought, you know, the best version of Peter Jan on that night, and he admitted he was losing that bout. And then he watches this with Corey Sanhagen. He's like, damn, this guy just keeps getting better and better. So um, all in all, yes, I do think that'll be what we see, simply because TJ's still recovering as well from a more recent surgery, and TJ will, in fact, just kind of wait and get the winner of that one, in my opinion. All right, then the second question about Corey Sanhagen. You mentioned his resume while we were uh, recapping the fight, and while his resume is very good, uh, is it safe to say that, I mean, the resume, the credit we give his resume is kind of for his losses to this point. And don't get me wrong, he's got good wins. He's got Frankie Edgar, Marlon Rice, uh, Rafael Sunsell. However, those three names I just mentioned are definitely past their prime, and even probably when he beat them were probably past their prime a little bit. Right. So he's lost to the three, at this point, I guess you would guess the three top members of the Bantamweight division. His right. losses are to Peter Yan, TJ Dillashaw, and Aljamain Sterling. So you know, despite all the credit we can give him and we can say he feels like a future champion, and you know, while I don't think it was a bad idea to take this fight by any means, Realistically, how far was he set back by this loss? Yeah, um, this definitely sets him back, right? Because it is, at the end of the day, the top three guys. The champion, the now interim champion, and the number one contender, TJ Dillashaw. So he's lost all three of those guys, right? So now he's back, and um, it's not going to be a circumstance now where, you know, after that fight to TJ, they were saying and how he did a pinky promise with Sean Shelby or Mick Maynard, one of the two, where, they told him, just get one more win and you will get another title shot because of how close the fight with TJ was. But now, with back-to-back of those, and I know this was another close fight, and some people may have even said this was for Corey, this the win, but now it's back-to-back losses regardless. And it's to the elite guys in the division, the top three guys. So now I'm looking at him and where he stands in this division as elite and as stacked as this division is. He's like, okay. You need two, you need three more wins before you're back into title talks. And I know that sucks, and I know that seems hard because it's like, damn, he's top three. How many do you want him to get? But when this top three still have to sort their shit out, he's going to have to wait a little while. And, you know, I don't know if you want me to matchmake here, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think a fight with him and number six, Marab Valishvili, is the fight to make. It's the one that makes the most sense. Marab just worked his way into number six, the elite talk of this division. And I think it's a fight that is fresh. It's someone that isn't booked, and you're not setting Corey back too far, but it's still a very tough test and a great grappler that is Marab, but is striking, not up to par with the TJs or with the Pewter Jan, so Corey will still have the edge there. That should be the fight to make. But, yes, he's definitely set back um, a little while. I'll put it that way. 
Yeah, it's a great fight. It's a great fight. But I, I, I think if you take if you give him a fight with Marab, I don't know if it's a three fight setback or not because I feel like uh, if he's fighting Marab, then I feel like one more after that he's already back in the conversation, mm-hmm. just based on ranking, based on placement of things, and we'll see how the top of the division sorts out. You know, Jan and Sterling have to run it back, and then you got TJ Dillashaw and. For all we know, something will open up and, you know, San Hagen will get another opportunity quicker than we imagine. But while I don't have a name in mind, I might even have him fight someone below Valishvili. Like, it's just mm-hmm. – I think if you want to do – I because I agree with the timetable. Like, let him get three wins, you know, earn, earn his – in the third one be a title eliminator. Yeah. But in order to do that, the first one's got to be probably further back. I mean, it's got to mm-hmm. be like eight in rankings or something. It's just, and I, I'm not sure. I'm, that might even be Frankie Edgar right now, so that probably wouldn't add up. But yeah. you know, if Marlon Vera beats Frankie Edgar this Saturday, then I think him and Marlon Vera is a great fight. Yeah, that's fun. And I know if you're, Mar- and I know for Marlon Vera, that's a you're going from if you win, Marlon Vera might be fighting number t- number three in the world. Yeah, I mean he's good. I think that'd be a good fight. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm just uh, there's a part of me that almost feels pessimistic about Corey Sanhagen's outlook here. Like it's just tough because yeah, he's so good and he looks good in these fights. And the TJ Dillashaw fight, you could for sure make an argument that he won. I don't think you can make an argument that he won this fight with Jan. I don't, yeah. I don't see that. But ultimately, he is coming up just short most of these losses, you know, Sterling fight notwithstanding. But, yeah, they're losses at the end of the day, so it feels like he's set back pretty far, but I don't want to – like, I want him to keep challenging himself like this. Like, I love it. He's just so, so young. I just think he just still has a lot of growth to do, despite how good he already is. Right. Um so it's just going to take time for him to get that growth he needs. Um, but it, all in all, is, I think that's about it. It was a fantastic fight. Yeah. Let's get into a couple other bouts on the main card. We grouped these two together because, man, it's big standouts. <laughs> the, two, the two biggest hype oh, trains wow. on the card, and they both get first-round submission victories. Islam Makachev gets the submission in 2 minutes 25 seconds over Dan Hooker. And Hamzat Chimaev gets the submission over Li Jing Liang in 3 minutes 16 seconds. So not a lot to talk about in either of these fights. I mean, both of them very one-sided, very much showed how good these two can be. Um, their opponents essentially got no offense off, and that might be more of a statement for Hamzat. The man has only absorbed one strike through his first four UFC bouts, uh, which is absurd stat. While Islam didn't take much more than that from Dan Hooker before getting him to the ground and ultimately getting his submission. So let's start with the Islam Makachev fight. And I'm going to skip straight to title talk here, Dominic. Should Islam be next for the lightweight title? I know we have a big fight this Saturday with Michael Chandler and Justin Gaethje, but with this performance, is he next in line in your opinion? Well, shit, I've already said yes 
uh, anyways, and that was when this fight was originally booked between him and RDA. But now he went in and destroyed Dan Hooker instead, and it's even more of a yes for me. And I'll tell you right now, if you're Islam Makachev, you're rooting for Michael Chandler to beat Justin Gaethje this weekend because that may just lock it in for you, being that Gaethje fought for the vacant belt in May. I don't think a win over Gaethje's going to launch him right back in, even if Dustin were to beat Oliveira in December. There's a lot of moving parts. But yes, if you're him, you're rooting for Chandler to win that fight. Uh, if Gaethje can beat Chandler, that's where it could get a little interesting. But all in all, in my opinion, and it's a yes or no question, yes, he's ready for the lightweight championship, and he deserves the lightweight championship. He's smashing through everyone. He now got that elite win that Noah and I were discussing on Friday that he, we still felt like he needed, and he made it look easy. One of the easiest wins he's had in his career in the UFC, and that fact that it came against a guy like Dan Hooker, I know it was short notice, but holy shit, it was ultra impressive. A Kimura made it look so easy, the transitioning. This dude's an absolute phenom. Title shot next for Islam Makachev. 100% agree. I don't care what I see this Saturday. Yeah. Well, maybe I should maybe I shouldn't say that, but I really don't. I don't I don't care if Justin Gaethje or Chandler come out and like just put on the performance of a lifetime. Islam Makachev, I think, earned it here. Yeah. And that, and I was the one that had the most holdbacks of probably anybody <laughs> left. Yeah. I mean, you just look at the quality of the guy's wins. He didn't really have it before this fight. Yeah. And yes, I know. Short notice Dan Hooker, but I'm not, you know, Dan Hooker was here and ready to go. And he got off nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. And Islam mm-hmm. Makachev just, I mean, outworked him. Mm-hmm. Dan Hooker's a really good opponent, man. He he and he just makes it look so easy. That's what's so impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess that I mean I really I don't know if there's anything else to say about it. I guess that's in terms of breaking down the fight, there's not much to break down. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the title shot is next. I think he gets the winner of Poirier Oliveira. Yeah. Look it. Yeah. I would say the winner of Gage, just I'm going to say this now. I know we'll probably talk about it. Fights a week away. On Friday, yeah. The winner of Gage Chandler, I would probably say fights the loser of Poirier Oliveira. Yeah. Assuming all parties don't, ret- nobody retires out of those four, <laughs> right. a.k.a. Dustin Poirier. Now, <laughs> Hamza Chimaev. This was probably this was probably the biggest uh, story to come off of this card. Oh, it was for sure. Um, this guy had the most fan interest, the most intrigue on the card, and he lived up to it. And Dominic, we we've seen with his opponents, right? He went from John Phillips, who was kind of this guy that really just hadn't been able to get any wins in the UFC, kind of struggled a lot, went through him. Then he gets a really quick turnaround, 10 days, 10-day turnaround, to fight Reese McKee, who was making his debut in the promotion, a guy that from Cage Warriors that we both still think has some potential, but making his debut on short notice against Hamzat Chimaev. Hamzat, similar things for that performance. Then he gets a step up and fights a bit of a journeyman, but a guy that's still a good opponent in Gerald Mearchart. One punch KO. Yeah, 17 seconds. <laughs> so then it's like, all right, he has this year off because of very detrimental COVID issues he had that nearly derailed his entire career. He 
potentially was looking at retirement at a point. Yeah. He comes back. So then there's this intrigue, added level of intrigue, because there's questions about, is this guy going to look the same? And we're not even sure if the guy we saw before is really that guy or not in a lot of yeah. ways. Like, he looked fantastic. He he was running through his opponents like they were nothing. But it still was like, is he really that good? Or is it just, you know, is it like a bit of a Johnny Walker thing where it's like – right? You just get a couple of these wins that are very impressive in a row, and all of a sudden people think you're a world beater. So then he gets Li Jingliang, who looked like he was finally putting together the best run of his career, ranked number 11 in, divi- in the welterweight division. And Hamza came in here and literally beat him as easy, if not easier, than the three opponents previous. Yeah. I mean... I'm done. Like this guy is on the fast track. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. He's going to be ranked probably 11th or 10th or whatever. I don't care. I don't need to see him fight. Oh, someone. I saw people talking about Michael Chiesa or Neil Magny. No, Mm-mm. no, no. no. He sorry. He will. I mean, Michael Chiesa has Sean Brady uh, yeah. to worry about. But yeah. like for Neil Magny, no, sorry. That that fight is he's past that fight mm-hmm. in all seriousness. Yeah. This guy is literally one fight away from a title fight. Yes. So we're gonna treat it as such and we're gonna give him one of the highest guys in the division. Yes, I'm strapping a rocket to his back and catapulting him into the top. So based on your agreement of what I'm saying, I guess my question should be a little reworded here, because I originally had on here, do you believe in the hype and who should be next? But I think it's pretty we clear we believe in the hype. <laughs> so who is that opponent, Dominic, for Hamzat Chemaev? Number four ranked Vicente Luque. That's the fight. That's the fight because if I'm going to be honest with you, I think he steamrolls through everyone <clears> in this <throat> division in route to a title fight. Uh, and Luque is maybe where there's at least a little adversity, and that's just because of how damn tough Vicente Luque is. I think this is a real – Good test for Hamzat. If, if we if we want to consider, he is elite. I'm just going to say it. He is elite. I know he just beat Lee Jean Lane. He's number 11. He's an elite welterweight. But you kind of have to beat another elite welterweight to really solidify it. And I feel Vicente is that way. He's a guy that could already be fighting for a title if it wasn't for the Colby rematch coming up this weekend, in my opinion. So if he can come in there and starch Vicente Luque, which I, Vicente gets in war, so yes, he can be finished. But I'm talking be starched and keep Luque from doing anything good offensively, it is a title shot next, as Noah said. I think that's a fan-friendly fight. I think it's a fight night five-round main event. That definitely won't go five rounds, but we're going to do it anyway. Do it right now. Launch him into the top four. Luque does not have a fight right now. He's looking for a fight right now, and apparently Dana White ain't working on him and Nate Diaz. There you go. So I'm going to put this fight on UFC 269. <laughs> <laughs> that, Hamza, that car can't do no more. That car can't handle no Hamza more. Hamza Chemaev will fight Gilbert Burns oh my. on that December card. Gilbert Burns wants a fight. Hamza Chemaev literally took no damage here. He's going to want a quick turnaround. The UFC is going to want. I'm telling you, Dominic, there is a chance, and people are going to hate this. Ariel Hawani's head might explode. There is a chance if Hamza gets that win, if he let's say he did fight 
on that December card against Gilbert Burns. And if he wins, he might get the title shot over Leon Edwards. <laughs> I mean, and you know, people are going to be upset at that. There's going to be people that are going to be angry. And my question to you is who do you give a better chance to at beating Kamaru Usman if that's the case? I mean, it's it's Hamza, man. This guy, you know what I mean? Fucking, yeah, I'm not really. I'm, this guy's taking the the UFC and holding it in the palm of his hand. He he is Thanos right now. He hold he is inevitable. That is what Hamza Chamayev is, dude. He has the best chance to dethrone Kamar Usman and beat all these guys. He does. He does. Until proven otherwise, he does. Now, as great as all this sounds, and as obvious as this should be, that he is fighting a top contender next. I actually think they're going to go a different direction or try to attempt okay. to because you do have a point at what you said earlier. I think that this is the guy that the UFC is looking at and goes, this is perfect for Nate Diaz's final oh fight of his contract. Mm. Yep, that's right. Mm. I think There is no doubt in my mind this is who the UFC wants Nate Diaz to fight. Is Nate Diaz going to accept that fight? I highly doubt <laughs> There's it. There's no way. <laughs> but you're telling me that the UFC wouldn't be willing to throw a lot of money yeah. at Nate yeah. Diaz to take this fight? I don't know. Um, he doesn't have to accept it, and you know maybe he doesn't, and maybe they still get him another fight that he's more looking forward to, but I feel very strongly that there is a chance, perhaps on the Jan- UFC 270 or something, Hamza Chimaev and Nate Diaz may be a fight that happens. Could you Which, imagine? Dominic, let me ask you, if that fight was booked, would you be upset about it? Would you be a little bit, or let down, maybe is a better word, upsets might be a strong word. Would you be let down by the matchmaking? I would. I really yeah, would. I would. I would too. Yeah, I would. because there's no doubt that I think Hamza would do pretty bad things in Nate Diaz. Right you just now. don't need it. You don't need it. Hamza's <clears> already <throat> a star. You know what I saw after he won? He has more followers on Instagram already than Kamar Usman, the champion of the division. I didn't know that. That's yeah, yeah. So and I'll and tell Usman, you right now, Usman's too. really built himself up pretty oh, yeah. well over the last year. I agree. Year. One of the biggest names there is right now. And I, you know what? As soon as Hamza won last night and talked to Uncle Dana, he's probably trying to get to MSG this coming Saturday and just be there. He Maybe probably said, Sean yeah, Strickland. Sean Strickland, exactly. Does he still need to fight? Because I'll fight him. Usman, Colby, uh, one of them going to miss weight? I'm, I'm, I'm right here, too. <laughs> this dude is a fucking... He's a savage. He's a gangster. He's saying as much. He's saying he's going to kill everybody. This dude's terrifying, man. It, is the, has there been a guy? There's been a lot of hype trains in the UFC, right? But to come in and do what he's doing and just taking the world by the balls, have we seen much like this in the past? No, Dominic, to be honest, I, I don't think we've ever seen this before. This is the most impressive first four fights in a UFC career. I know you got big comparisons like Conor McGregor, you know, guys like that, but there's nobody who has done this. The strikes comparison in four <laughs> fights, 254 to one. That's at least that's not even goals. fair. Or 254 to two. I don't 254 know. to two. What's the difference? It's, it's yeah, one more. I mean, you guys get it. This is the most impressive 
first four fights in a UFC career. And you can nitpick it all you want. Oh, you know, this opponent was kind of iffy. This opponent was kind of iffy. It doesn't matter. He treated him like that. Yeah. And then he moves up, and he's still treating opponents like they're the John Phillips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Lee Jing Liang did not look like a UFC fighter here. No. He picked him up, carried him over to the fence, and started talking to Dana White before slamming him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you that, know, I, shout out. To, I do want to give a shout out to Lee Jing Liang just for, you know, he he made me kind of believe a little bit. Like, the guy looked like he was ready to go. Oh, and ultimately, he just ran into the freight train that is Hamzat Shemaev. But, exactly. You know, and I'm sure it's a deflating loss, too. But he did look very congratulatory to um, Hamzat. He seemed, mm-hmm. you know, very respectful in the aftermath. So respect to Jing Liang. The leech will be back. But, Dominic, to answer your question, there's never been anything like this. Yeah. Never. Crazy. We're in uncharted territory. Yeah. <laughs> And I just can't wait to see where it goes next. But I will admit, if they really do him and Diaz, it's going to be like wind out of my sails a little bit. You know? Oh, yeah. I agree. Like, I'll still be excited for the fight when it happens. But I'm just going to – it's going to be kind of like – I'm going to really in my head know the result before it happens. I'm going to be like, I don't know. The Diaz fans are going to be like, oh, Stockton 305 or whatever. No. And then – I'm going to be like, guys, you don't know what's about to happen here. This Especially when the Stockton slap don't land. Because Hamzat doesn't get touched. He doesn't get touched. He does not get touched. Ooh. And Let's like Noah said, real quick. Real, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on real quick, yeah. real quick. We don't have an award for the Joeys for the most savage moment of the year. So I'm just going to give that award out right now. Because I thought that Max Holloway had it when he was talking to DC, saying he's the best boxer against Calvin <laughs> Cater, why he's dipping punches, not even looking at Cater. And Noah just mentioned what Hamzat did. Picks up Lee, carries him across the cage to Dana specifically. And Hasbulo, by the way, was sitting right there too. Looks at Dana, talking to him, saying, wake up, Dana, get off your phone. Slams him, slams Lee Jing Liang. And then when they cut back, he's still looking at Dana through the takedown, talking to him. Most One of the most savage things I've ever seen in UFC history. So I just wanted to reiterate how great that moment was. So you're giving that the award? That is the most savage moment of 2021 right there. Yes. Oof, over to Max thing. I can't do that. Over Max. But I think that's a recency bias, but I'll, you know, I'll let it slide. <laughs> I just, man, the Max one, the fact that he was no looking punches. Come on, dude. Come on, yeah. Dom. That's your boy. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest. <sighs> we still got a lot of fights to talk about. This one, I don't really, you know, I wasn't even going to put it on here at first. I know. The fight that. was kind of. <laughs> Well, the fight just was—I mean, it was a—it was a fight, you know. It was, yeah, it was fine, but there wasn't like you know, I didn't feel like there was a ton of takeaways from the fight. But yeah, there's takeaways for what's next, and that's because Magomed Ankalaev gets the unanimous decision win over Vulcan Uzdemir. Um, and I and the question here is all about Ankalaev. I said I think this guy can be a title challenger and perhaps a champion at 205 pounds and. A win over Vulcan Uzdemir might not be the win that necessarily uh, submits that, but I do think this was a good win for him, and I think it inches him that much closer. But, Dominic, the question is, how close is Magomed to title contention right now? Yeah, so this was his seventh win in a row, um, and I think he's one win away. I think he's one more win away from cementing himself as a title contender. I do. Uh, And that's why when you mentioned Rakich earlier, 
or way earlier, I thought, okay, we're going to be on the same page. We weren't. You said Jan versus Rakic. I'm matching up Magomed Ankalaev and Alexander Rakic because apparently Rakic ain't <laughs> fighting Yuri like I wanted, and I don't like him fighting Anthony Smith again because they just fought last year. He may not like the idea of fighting Magomed Ankalaev, but it may just be inevitable that he's going to have to fight him. I think he's going to get launched in, regardless of if it's him or not, to these top four, the elite guys. And he's a guy that's available right now that is fresh. Anthony is available, but not as fresh. He just fought, and I don't want to feed Anthony Smith <laughs> to Magomed Ankalaev. Alexander Rakic uh, and Ankalaev is what I would do. The winner of that gets the winner of Glover and Yuri, in my opinion. So respectfully, because I did see this going around a lot about Rakic and Ankalaev, so I figured that's where you thought I was going. But um, respectfully, that might be the most boring fight of all time if it's happened. Could be. Rakic and Ankalaev don't necessarily have the style of fight to, to, you know, they're great fighters. Right. But you match them up with one another, that will be a dull affair. So I'm not going to do it. Sorry. I like being entertained. So I'm not going to, like, I don't want to see a fight that sucks. That I Like, there's just no doubt in my mind that fight would not be good. No doubt. So because of that, I am putting Ankalaev with, Anthony Smith. Oh, you bastard. And, I mean, I can't. I mean, I know you love Anthony Smith, but these are the kind of guys he's going to have to beat if he really wants to be a title challenger. Or, mm-hmm. So to me, it's a bit of if you can't either get in or get out, like get out of the way kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I think that fight makes a lot of sense. I'm actually surprised you said one. I thought I was higher on Ankalaev than you were. But I actually think he's probably like two fights away right now. Like I think it went over Anthony Smith. Then you put him in a title eliminator. I'm not going to be upset if he goes up against Rakic next and um, has the worst fight of the year and, you know, then gets a title shot or whatever. But at the end of the day, I, I, I would say probably – I think there's enough guys at the top right now that are really earning their keep right now that I don't know if you really need to – uh, have him be one away. I think Rakic and Jan would be great, and if Rakic wins that, he'll be after Yuri, and then by that point, Ankalaev and Anthony Smith would fought, and if Ankalaev wins, then he's right there as well. So, right, I, I think that uh, the the ceiling is very high for Ankalaev, and he it's showed clear. that here. Yeah. And a fight with Rakic would definitely show. They're just two guys. Let me try to explain because I'm not sure. I feel like you're kind of like confused at why I think this fight's going to be that boring. But it's just their styles are very passive. They're very much – they're not guys that initiate um, action. Yeah. They they let action come to them, and then they they are kind of – not necessarily counterpunchers, but I'm just saying they let – their opponent make mistakes and capitalize off of them. They let their opponents get overzealous and capitalize off of that. And um, they just, they, they're not necessarily pressure fighters. They're, they are who they are. So if you, you could have an exciting fight with them in the form of like when Ankalaya fought Kudalava, mm-hmm. who just kind of came after him, but you saw all that went. So, a fight with Rakic, Rakic ain't going to do that. Yeah. They're both going to hold 
hold a slow pace. They're going to keep a distance from one another. And you're going to get a very low-volume, controlled five rounds. Right. It's going to be Santos versus Walker, but more technical. And I can't wait to see it. All right. Next up, Amanda Hebus gets back on track with the unanimous decision win over Birna, Jandaroba. Not without um, some adversity. Now, Dominic, was this the performance? Did this check all the boxes for you for Hebus return? Were you were you able to walk away and go, Ooh. Ooh, she's back on track now? Uh, rounds two and three did, uh, but the first round, uh, it was iffy. She she got clipped bad in that first round by someone <clears> known for their jujitsu. So, you know, it obviously leads me to believe there's still plenty uh, left to improve on in her striking defense. But outside of that, I got to say, rounds two and three, she really flipped a switch. She looked really composed, a great game plan. I know she didn't get a finish, but um, she, she was very active and really just kept a pace on her or on Verna, that is, uh, for those latter two rounds, she had a clear two-to-one victory. You know, it's not one where I'm like, okay, she's she's back right where she was before she lost uh, to Marina. She's not there yet, but it was a big bounce-back win that she needed against a top-15 opponent, and I'm still, as always, excited to see what's going to come next for after this win. Yeah, it was a very close fight. And, um, round one was a clear Vierna round. I did score two to one for Hebus, but yeah. I think there could have been an argument made for Vierna to win this fight as well. She she really held in there, hung in there, and you know the first round was her strongest round. And you're right; I mean, she kind of dominated the groundwork and then landed the overhand that yeah almost dropped Hebus, and I was like, oh my god, here we go again. Right. Um, but Hebus did bounce back well and looked very good the rest of the fight it was a good fight for these two and you know so no no again Birna, keep your head up but uh for hebas I, I gotta say dominic i don't know if this really did what i what i wanted this fight to do right to kind of reignite that that like the feelings i had about amanda previous to her loss exactly. to, to marina i just i walked away going okay good win way to dig deep, mm-hmm. but that should have probably, I'm not going to say it should have been easier, but the parts where the fight was hard for her shouldn't have been as difficult. Right. She shouldn't be getting hurt on the feet by Bearded Jandaroba. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, like if she, if that, if her chin's just not going to hold up, which you, you look at that and you go, okay, she has work to do. But Dominic, if she just doesn't have the chin to take even that kind of that wasn't really that was a looping right hand. That wasn't mm. something that had a ton of power on it. I just don't know if she has the chin to take much of a shot, is what I'm mm. kind of worried about. So when she gets to this top of the division, if she makes that that far, I just don't know if she can really can she I don't know if she can hold up against the Rose Nami Eunice or Joanna or there's a lot of elite um, strikers up there. Wei Marina Lee, you know? again. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I she does have a big win. She does her big biggest win of her career is over Mackenzie Dern, who yeah. has now somehow made her way all the way to the top five. So right. she obviously has the potential. I just think that uh you would have liked to see a little bit cleaner of a performance, but definitely got better as the fight went on. Yeah. Next up. Our first contract earner from season five of Dana White's Contender Series fought. He was the only uh, Contender Series contract earner 
to fight on this card. Fun fact. That's shocking because I feel like it's every week. There's multiple. <laughs> so Albert Durayev does get the unanimous decision win over Roman Kopilov, but not without some adversity. This fight went a little back and forth. Um, it seemed like there might have been an effort by Durayev to keep this fight standing early on and against someone who is a pretty much pure striker and Kopilov. That is a bold strategy to say the least, but I think he quickly, Durayev quickly learned that that wasn't really going to work and ultimately went with the grappling, which he is just so good at. Yeah, this this fight turned into a bit of a war at times. I mean, he second round, Durayev smashed Kopilov's face mm-hmm. with elbows, and I mean, his face was all battered up. But then round three, Kopilov came back and started hurting Durayev on the feet. It was ended up being a great fight, a bit of a war, and one that I didn't really expect to be that coming in, to be honest. Yeah, and I knew you were excited for this one. You're big on Albert Durayev, rightfully so. This is like his 10th or 11th straight win now. And you're right. Without He he faced adversity, and sometimes we say we'd like to see that. Maybe not this much. I mean, he might have exited out of there with a broken orbital bone. His eye was very much swollen and bruised, which is usually what that means. But uh, nevertheless, a gritty win in his UFC debut. Uh, went to battle, went to war, and gets the win, man. So. Good on him. Again, the first guy from season five. It's exciting to see his future. Yeah, they start 1-0 to season five contract earners. Yep. Sets the pace. And here's a fight that I didn't think we were going to talk about going in, but uh, or at least if you would have told me this fight would end up on the rest, I would have been a little surprised. But uh, after what happened in the cage, got to talk about it a little bit. It's not even for the fight itself as Elizu Zalecki Dos Santos. Gets a unanimous decision over Benoit St. Denis. It was started out good fight, you know, guys going mm-hmm. back and forth. First round and a half, basically the first half of the fight, you know, it, it was a good fight. You have the yeah, experience of Zaleski, and then you have St. Denis, who just looked very composed, very, very much kind of hanging in there. You know, I would say Zaleski was winning, but not by much. You know, they, they were, mm-hmm. it was anybody's fight. Then Zaleski hurt St. Denis pretty bad, and it looked like the end was near. I mean, it got to a point where St. Denis was very wobbly on his feet, pretty much out on his feet. Yeah. And then we proceed to see the most inexplicable bit of refereeing I've ever seen in my life. Yep. This was a referee that was pretty unknown to us. Someone, I don't know who this referee really was in terms of, you know, how often, where he referees at or how often. But he didn't stop the fight when it should have been clearly stopped. I mean, the whole commentary team was yelling at him to stop this fight. Like it was, yeah. uh, St. Denis was taking unnecessary damage, didn't yeah. do it. it. Gets through the third round, and then again, he's getting hurt in round three and wobbly on his feet. He's running away from Zaleski at times. Still not stopping the fight. And then he even took a point away oh, from Zaleski. Was, was what was it for? It was for uh was well there was an poke? eye well there was an eye poke in the third round and a groin strike. And the point came after whichever came second. But I was like, what the fuck? Uh, I don't know. Like I'm not saying that that I don't know. It it felt like the wrong <laughs> I heard Dana Cormier like, did he really just take a point away? Did he really just do that? Yeah. Yeah, this was. I mean, there was commotion apparently outside the octagon. I guess 
Mark Goddard just pissed on the head ref yeah. of the evening. And ultimately, this guy was supposed to do the Ankalaev Uzdemir fight. After this, he got taken off for the rest of the night. So, Dominic, the question is Was this the single worst refereeing performance in major MMA history? <laughs> I mean, it's got to be. I can't think of all of them. And obviously, been late stoppages and all this, but this was awful. I felt bad um, for uh, St. Denis. It was his UFC debut. He was undefeated. A guy that looks promising. Like Noah said, the first half of the fight was great, and he looks like a very good prospect. But then when he's just taking this beating and getting put into a bloody pulp, I was like, stop the damn fight, man. And at the end of the second round, it's like you almost left it in the hands of his corner. In a sense, like, should they throw in the towel since the ref's not going to stop this fight? And obviously they didn't, and I'm sure Satan and he wouldn't want that. But then he has to go through an entire third round again taking damage that never needed to happen. There were people saying that the second round, if there's ever been a 10-7, I saw Brad Okamoto say this, that was a 10-7 round. That's how bad of a beatdown this was. And to really put it into perspective for those that didn't see this fight because it was deep on the prelims, how bad it was, uh, awful refereeing. I'm so glad they took him off of his second assignment. And he'll never step foot in a UFC octagon again, I would have to imagine. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, this is a guy, again, this was the first time I've ever seen him. So I don't know if he's refed UFC fights before. But, um, you know, we've had a history of guys like Steve Mazzagatti. And, you know, we've had bad performances by even good referees. Of course. And yet this one just feel, it feels like this might have been the single worst. I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, it was inexplicable. I don't know. I, I do want to give props to the two combatants. You know, they, they fought their heart out. Zaleski, I mean, just, you could tell he's like, what the hell do I have to do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gassed himself out. All of a sudden I I got nervous, you know, in a way, and no disrespect to St. Denis, but I was nervous that St. Denis might, he started landing some shots in round three that like flush. And I was like, Oh no. If St. Denis wins, yeah. Then all of a sudden this is gonna make people think that like that ref was in the right. And yeah. that and so I was like, in a way, I almost had to root against the guy, but like it's hard to because again, this is a guy like you want he's in the fight, so you don't want him to like lose, but I'm exactly. like oh my god, this could be the worst possible outcome if he like wins. Like, yeah, what a comeback, but that ref clearly was out of line, out of bounds, and it was a good thing he got removed. We'll see. I don't know what his future holds in refereeing, but he should definitely um, look into another line of work, I would say. Um, He wasn't very good as a fighter either. He went 0-4 as a professional fighter, so maybe that explains it. But I don't know, Dominic. That was was tough to watch, but, you know, St. Denis showing – what a chin on that guy. I mean, my God. Chin and heart. That's for damn sure. Last one here. Lerone Murphy gets the knockout of Makwan Amir Khani <sighs> with a knee to the face. 14 Brutal. seconds around number two. Amir Khani controlled this entire first round on the ground. Yeah, he looked you great. You know, Lerone Murphy, that's kind of been where he's been least tested. You know, he's very, very good boxer and has won all of his fights via – K-O-T-K-O, any of his finishes, that is. But um, Amir Khani, we knew that's what he was going to look to do here. Did it well in round one. 
looked to replicate it in round two, and he went straight into Eight a four. knee yeah. for Lerone Murphy out cold. Lerone Murphy now is 4-0 and 1 in the UFC, I believe. His the draw was his debut. He had a debut on short notice against Zubaira Takugov. It was on this card as well. Besides yep. that, he's had really good wins. Uh, he's on the very first card of the year. He had the fight of the night, or no, it was on the Magni Chiesa card. Fight of the night with Douglas Silva de Andrade. So mm-hmm. the guy looks really good. Um, I'm curious, do you think that the, he's knocked on the door top 15 after this win? Got to be close, man, considering Army Connie is uh, right there as well, you know, right on the edge of uh, featherweight. And, and, you know, he looked good in round one, like we said. And you could tell, though, that this wasn't just some fluke knee. Larone saw this opening present itself. As soon as uh, Army Connie started to shoot in, you saw him adjust his body and bam, brought the knee right to a perfectly timed knockout. No fluke or nothing. That was skilled, precise. Uh, and, yeah, he is right on the cusp. Considering he's undefeated, that always helps. Maybe they give it to him next, if not one more. And he's going to be right in there with the uh, top 15 guys. Well said. That's going to wrap it up for this weekend recap. Give us your thoughts on all the fights, all of UFC 267. It was a great card. It was a really good night of fights. And the fact that we got it all on ESPN Plus for simply paying our $6 a month just made it all the more sweet. Mm-hmm. But, Dominic, the ride's not over. No, it's not. We We're just going. getting started. <laughs> Because this Friday, we'll be back with the MMA Weekend Preview. Not only do we have another huge UFC card to talk about, we also have Bellator to talk about. And the last week of Contender Series. Let's just buckle up. Buckle up. UFC 268, Bellator 270, and Dana White Contender Series Week 10. All going to be on Friday. So I'm very excited to talk about that. But until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at <clears throat> Diesley14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the show on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. For me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. If you go to the link in my bio, it will take you to a link tree. Okay which will provide you a list of links really to all the platforms the podcast on along with social media platforms. So that includes... But it's not limited to? Kind of mm. is. Mm. The Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts, it's all on there. And there's a couple links for the Anchor page. First, leaving a voice message. Shout out. Second, if you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, you can just provide us with a few dollars a month and all that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. But that's it. We're out, and we'll see you this Friday.